0: Section fourteen of the American Egypt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The American Egypt by Channing Arnold and Frederick J. Tabor Frost. Section fourteen El Meco to Puerto Morelos. Part two at the extreme southern end of cancun whither we now sailed we discovered another small ruin of no great interest but further suggesting the once dense population of the island here too was a fisher hut four poles stuck in the sand with two cross poles covered with palm leaf for roof round this cancun point known as nisook are turtle in plenty both the green turtle chelonia midas beloved of aldermen and the hawk-billed turtle the carrot eretmochelis imbricata which provides the commercial tortoise shell it is this latter which the yucatecan fishermen chiefly hunt for they can get as much as eight dollars a pound for the shell for the flesh of the turtle they have no taste an example of the truth of the saying that what we have we never value. The beaches of these Caribbean isles, around the fisher settlements, are often littered with the rotting carcasses of turtle, spectacles of wilful waste sufficient to break the stoutest aldermanic heart. The preparation of turtle soup demands a culinary artist, and no Yucatecan is this their kitchen methods are ever those of the sloven cook who throws meat into a pot anyhow but they begin to learn that there are people who prize the flesh of turtle and a certain trade is done in the green reptilian with the captains of american trading schooners which come across the gulf from florida and the eastern states thus a feature of the villages are the turtle crawls enclosures built some few yards out from the water edge made of stakes driven in in the form of a small square bound together by lianas here the turtles swim about until they are wanted at the crawl in isla de mujeres there were some two dozen many of them monsters weighing four hundred pounds or more at this hut on Nisuk point we met two young yucatecan fishermen handsome fellows in spotless cottons their feet sandaled they too were from mujeres and they joined us in our evening meal which we ate in picnic fashion at the water edge but the mosquitoes were also feeding so at sunset we put out into mid-stream to avoid their pressing attentions and fished for picuda till dark These Yucatecans are quite Arab-like in the simplicity of their sleeping habits, and it was quaint to watch at sundown the five men wrap themselves, head and all, in their colored blankets, as if they were going to send themselves by parcels post and fall asleep in little packets all over the foredeck all night they sleep in the same attitude in which they lie down a dreamless sleep like that of a cat on a sunny window ledge and it is a good thing they do for the few inches of gunnel would not save them from a ducking if they twisted a hand's breadth with the dawn after cocoa and biscuits we sailed down the coast once more towards san jose de bega near where it was rumoured there was a ruined cenote with remarkable carved figures san jose is the headquarters of a mexican wood-cutting company which has a paper concession of the whole east coast from cape catoche to Vigia. we say paper concession deliberately for these mexican trespassers on the independent indian territory live in a state of siege and of their nominal holding of about four thousand square miles the administrator of the company told us that his chicleros chicle cutters were only able to work fifteen square miles just round the settlement thither from the rickety little pier we travelled up by mule-drawn trolley car on the plantation railway the seat's empty sugar boxes through swamps haunted by alligators as at la Compania agricola the administrator and the chief officials were spanish cubans the hands all mexicans a dusty dirty garbage littered street of boarded shanties in the midst of the stuccoed administrative building at one end a palisaded corral for the mules at the other a desolate square of clearing which looked as if it had never known any other use save its apparently present one of a gigantic rubbish chute surrounded by wood cabins built up a foot or two from the ground this was san jose and here we were received with a courtesy as kindly as that we had experienced at la Compañía agricola this mexican company is known as la Compañía colonisidora and we shall have something to say directly about its finances in the sketch we are going to give of the war of extermination in progress hereabouts the officials knew nothing about ruins and cared less but they were politely tolerant of her enthusiasm and the administrator kindly dispatched a cowboy dressed in leather from head to foot and armed with rifle revolver and machete a bandolier of cartridges slung round him to a distant part of the estate to fetch a chiclero who could act as guide meantime we sat down to breakfast with loaded winchester rifles leaning against the wall behind us and every man with a revolver belted on him they take their life of siege very easily the company owns a tramp steamer which comes round from vera cruz once a month with provisions and after the meal, the administrator showed us a stone fort which he had had erected in case of a general attack as it was now midday and no start could be made for the ruins till next morning at dawn he proposed we should go out peccary shooting and we sent down to the boat for our guns our hosts done the most wonderful mexican shooting boots reaching almost to their waists decorated with tassels of string they had some half a dozen fine boar hounds one of the dogs a redoubtable hunter bearing many a scarf from duels with jaguars and the wild pig the male of which latter always heavily tusked often accounts for two or three dogs before he is bagged it was a picturesque afternoon we spent in the woods the five spaniards were keen sportsmen if a trifle reckless in the angles at which they held their guns the beating through the dense undergrowth was something of a follow-my-leader and we spent most of the time looking down their barrels realistically literal personifications of the man behind the gun the peccary were not at home but one of the party bagged a superb specimen of the hoko as large as the largest gobbler turkey with crested head its feathers all of gold and bronze while we were supping the leather-clad vaquero returned with a mexican workman who was to act as guide and who under severe cross-examination seemed to sustain the reputation of the rumoured cenote so it was arranged that at dawn a whole party of us should make a day of it the administrator prettily assuming a positive archaeological zeal Alas, he will never do so again, and giving generous orders for the preparation of the picnic baskets. It is sad to reflect that man's pleasure is so largely dependent upon untimely deaths in the animal world, and we fear that the arranging for our archaeological woodland junketings of the morrow was answerable for a porcine tragedy which was enacted while we took our coffee the stone-floored room in which we supped opened out into the kitchen yard and in the friendly way to which we had now become quite accustomed chickens turkeys and pigs ran through the room at intervals one of the latter affording the dogs quite a bore hunt between our legs and those of the chairs we had dined both wisely and well and were contentedly smoking the strong mexican cigarettes when piercing shriek after shriek rent the night air a poor pig was going the way of all flesh at the hands of the mexican cook not at a respectful distance from our loculus-like feast but actually at the door with its head in a pail and its piteous cries ending in a last gurgle as the knife did its brutal work like the writing on the wall of the banqueting-hall of belshazzar shook our nerves we had some reason to think on the morrow of poor piggy butchered to make an archaeologist's holiday for we were destined to a fiasco as complete to a disappointment as bitter as any in our tour and there were many while it was still dark the finest mules in the corral were saddled and brought round mexican cowboys in all the glory of leather jerkins hung wicker baskets bursting full of cold meat and fruits of flasks of cognac and flagons of red wine over their saddle-bows The administrator's zeal had not evaporated with the night, and he appeared, booted and spurred, to preside over the coffee which was served to us, just as the light was beginning to do successful battle with the slate grey of the before-dawn sky. It was a most imposing cavalcade, which started off a little later all the shanties emptied their human contents among the rubbish on the clearing to give us a fitting send-off first in true military fashion there were the mexican guides as scouts on foot and mounted next came the administrator commanding in chief then came the archaeological heroes of the occasion not alas long to be heroes and then some eight or ten sleek mules in leather and braided string trappings bearing mexicans and cubans eager for the cenote everything was sunshiny at first the forest was exquisite in the early morning sunlight and then after a few miles a change came over the spirit of our dreams long before the hour came for broaching those flagons of wine and sampling the contents of those ample baskets the travellers had returned to san jose a very dispirited train of men and mules the ruins were the fullest grown most phenomenally robust type of archaeological failure possible the cenote was a small surface cave with no suspicion of curvings or figures the building was a post-conquest erection of absolutely no merit our humiliation was complete it was really quite a good thing that we were not alone with that guide or we might have been sorely tempted to avenge with our revolvers the wrongs of hoodwinked archaeology with exquisite courtesy the administrator waded into the cenote cave in his eagerness to save our faces and discover those obstinately invisible figures but it was all no good it was obvious as he turned his mule's head san jose wards he thought us fools probably with mr pickwick he would have gone further and declared us impostors the pig was avenged twenty miles southward from san jose is the company's port half a dozen huts and the jetty where provisions are landed and such slender export of chicle as it is possible to make from the limited area of forest the indians permit the chicleros to work is loaded this is puerto morelos and as we were now in the district where war is despite all official contradictions actually in progress it will be well here to tell briefly the story of perhaps the most iniquitous attempt at race extermination in modern times the indians of the east coast have ever been independent there is no doubt about that neither the old spanish nor the modern mexicans have ever conquered them and when in eighteen seventy two some mayan raidings on british honduras boundaries brought a protest from england mexico's answer was equivalent to these indians are independent deal with them direct as with a separate state well england did she made an agreement with the chiefs which was amicably abided by for years past these indians though bitterly resenting the presence of any white man on their lands have been friendly to the british authorities and have proved themselves a peaceful self-supporting industrious people who only asked to be left alone they hate the mexicans and yucatecans and with sound reason and troubles occurred whenever there was a collision between the two in eighteen ninety three the trading of the mayans with the british attracted the jealous attention of mexico this jealousy took the form of a protest against the alleged selling of arms and ammunition by english traders in orange walk second biggest town in honduras to the indians but though england promised to do all she could matters did not improve and when mexico discovered that the indians were turning the mahogany logwood and chicle in their territory to profit she sought an excuse for starting the war which has now lasted for eight years the mexican government attempted to stop the mayans from dealing in their own wood and when this failed they tried to levy a tax on all lumber and goods going out of the territory the indians flatly refused to pay and when the mexicans feebly urged that as inhabitants of a geographical portion of mexico the mayans should pay taxes and thus support the federal army and navy the latter said in effect we don't want your forces to protect us if our land is threatened every man and boy of us is ready to fight we aren't doing you any harm we simply ask to be left alone the mexicans then played another card they proclaimed their absolute authority over eastern yucatan and granted concessions of the wood-cutting lands to mexicans such proclamation was in direct breach of the treaty rights of the indians and in contradiction of their own deliberate statement to the british government that these indians were independent it was a machiavellian scheme and succeeded the indians naturally resented the company's trespass and after due warnings killed the trespassers this was just what mexico expected and wanted talking blather about unprovoked outrages cannibals and the menace of savages to the republic she started a war of extermination from the first it was as cowardly a war as it is now troops were sent before dawn to surprise defenseless villages men women and children were butchered as they slept in one case that of chancenote a settlement of many hundreds was so successfully wiped out that when we visited the district the inhabitants numbered about thirty to the south of the peninsula the same policy has been pursued the indians have been ruthlessly massacred whenever a cowardly opportunity offered the mexican troops have invariably got the worst of it in such open fighting as the country permits their actual invasions of the indian strongholds have always resulted in their withdrawal without the slightest permanent success the indians are now concentrated at tulum on the mainland opposite the island of cozumel three times the mexicans have taken this place and three times have been obliged to evacuate it the position is a curious one scarcely anyone probably in mexico even including the members of the cabinet knows the truth except president diaz The general who has had the conduct of the war throughout is an octogenarian, Ignacio Bravo, a ruthless, bloodthirsty old soldier who rejoices in the Gilbertian title of Inspector General of Primary Instruction. He is an old comrade in arms of Diaz, and he has probably his orders, though it is said that the President is most anxious not to have the Indians killed if you ask officials they tell you the war is long ago over and when you ask them how they know they say why bravo says so it is very much indeed to bravo's interest to say so he has made the territory of quintana Roo, as eastern yucatan has been called since the war started his pocket property he has amassed there since he took over the command a fortune of many millions of dollars and his methods can be guessed at from his own cynical confession that he is the sleeping partner of every merchant in the territory for him everything is subordinated to pounds shillings and pence a slight but very significant instance of this was his reception of a proposal by an archaeologist that he should give his permission for the blowing up of old ruined spanish churches in the rio hondo district the request was dictated by the hope that in the foundations might be found buried by the Franciscans some ancient writings of the Mayans which would assist in the deciphering of the hieroglyphics the general gave the characteristic answer that he would permit the demolition of the churches on the understanding that the finds were sold and he got half utterly unscrupulous venal and self-seeking the last thing ignacio bravo desires is any direct fighting which might lead to unfortunate defeats and eye-openers for the mexican people under his able management the war has been whittled down to the occasional hanging of an indian driven by starvation to surrender or the potting of them in the bush from cape catoche to tulum he has no more authority than the man in the moon we can give a good proof of this while we were there he received a warning from the indians that on the sixteenth of january they would attack and burn the chicle woods around puerto morelos what did bravo do he feebly sends up a message to puerto morelos saying the indians will probably attack you on the sixteenth as a matter of fact the indians came that night fired the woods and we ourselves saw them burning for two nights no bravo has given it up he shirks all open fighting and in his lifetime at least the subjection of the indians will never be an accomplished fact he skunks at bacalar or santa cruz in the south or surrounded by a battalion of troops gallops from bacalar to peto and travel thence by rail to merida to this method of campaigning is due to the disastrous state of the territory through a part of which we passed the mexican government presumably for economy's sake sends the criminals from the mexican jails to fight the indians while we were in the islands a shipload of eighty of the worst specimens of half-bred spanish jail-birds passed on their way in a government transport to bravo's headquarters many of these men desert and the forests around are infested thus with fellows who will murder you for a dollar with these mexican cutthroats come gangs of women the most degraded and miserable manufactures of mexican debauchery the conditions of life in the barracks at santa cruz and ascension bay are such as literally defy description the barracks are mere filthy sheds the half-starved soldiers their toes rotting off from jigger fleas their skins foul with disease and vermin and their miserable women companions some dying of malaria or venereal disease some far advanced in pregnancy some mere girls not far in their teens sleeping on sloping boarded benches all huddled together there are no attempts at sanitary arrangements and the details of the lives of these wretched men and women are really unfit for publication such men are not worthy of the name of troops but they serve the mexican purpose of hard slaughter men in the indian shambles which mexico has created in yucatan starvation and starvation alone will bring about the absolute subjection of the indians of the east coast the federal government has been lavish with its concessions but they are not worth the printer's ink expended on their gazetting in the official newspapers of mexico city one land company has smashed and la Compañía colonisidora is living simply on credit so large a sum as four hundred thousand dollars has it is said been advanced by the national bank of mexico to keep it going the deduction from this is obvious the government having made worthless concessions must take steps to hoodwink the shareholders by squandering the revenues as we have said we have it on authority of the officials on the spot that out of the four thousand square miles of their concession they were at the time of our visit working but fifteen square miles and there was little hope of materially increasing this profitable area the war is now as far as possible restricted to the occasional potting of an indian and the burning of his mill-pass or maize fields in the extreme northeast as we have stated in chapter 7 the indians have for the time being asserted their independence and are left in peace the mexican government have no effective control of eastern yucatan and they can never have save by a policy of merciless extermination unworthy of a government which calls itself civilized and while this ruthless extermination of a noble race is being enacted in the extreme east of the Mexican territories, General Diaz's government is disgracing itself by its cruel treatment of the Yaquis, a tribe of brave Indians in the state of Sonora. As lending complete corroboration, to the story of horrors we have related we think it worth while to quote the long and admirable account of this infamous campaign from a recent issue of a united states newspaper it runs americans in mexico have made a formal protest to president diaz against the wholesale massacre of yaqui indians they back this protest with affidavits asserting that shiploads of the unfortunate indians men women and children who are supposed to be deported are actually dumped into the sea as a means of ridance. in the present age of much vaunted civilization this seems incredible but there is corroboration Señor Raphael de zayas enriguez a well-informed resident of mexico tells a story that bears the stamp of straightforward truth and it is well worth perusal it is evident he has deep feelings on this subject for he exclaims poor yaquis poor race of heroes on the far northwest of the mexican republic is the state of sonora in the extreme southeast is the peninsula of yucatan there still exists in yucatan the diminishing remnants of the most civilized nation of the pre columbian epoch of our continent they are the mayans who for more than half a century have been forced to take up arms to defend themselves against the tyranny of the whites in sonora in the small region lying between the ihayo and yaqui rivers exists another race of indians the yaquis who have not builded magnificent monuments as have the mayas but who are intelligent industrious faithful vigorous and courageous the yaquis had always lived peacefully and submitted to the mexican authorities but without fusing with the whites they conserved all the racial characteristics under the direct leadership of their own caciques both races the mayans and the yaquis are distinguished by their insuperable love for the small region they call fatherland which has been from very ancient times their own which they have defended against the invasion of other tribes and against the whites to whom at last they submitted retaining however always possession of the land the yaquis are a strong useful and industrious race they furnish nearly all the peons or land-workers to the farmers of sonora and sinaloa after the harvest these peons returned to their land and devoted the rest of the year to the cultivation of their own soil the yaqui region is favorably situated well irrigated and the soil is extremely fruitful the white men coveted the region and tried to despoil the yakis of what they had owned for centuries the red men naturally became angry enraged and finally they rose not in rebellion but to defend and safeguard their homes property and families thus the origin of the yakis struggle a real struggle for life was a despoliation perpetrated by the white people A few years ago president diaz wanted to put an end to the long warfare and he accomplished his purpose a pact was signed with the yaqui chiefs by which their properties were returned to them with a guarantee that they should never more be molested or deported peace was re-established but it was of short duration being more a truce than a permanent peace and it was so not because the yaquis did not fulfil their obligations but because the white men wanted to work their nefarious schemes again with this end in view they dexterously got rid of the chief indian leaders and took every necessary measure to destroy the whole yaqui race at the first sign of trouble the indians scented the plot a little late but still in time to avoid being exterminated they took the field again forced to do so by the treachery of the whites the above is an epitome of the history of the yaqui war and it will be seen that justice and right are on the side of the indians the world does not know how the merciless war is carried on but to give an idea of the ways and means used it will be enough to say that all the barbarous methods of the spanish captain-general during the last cuban insurrection are civilized compared to what is being done to the yaquis there is no cruelty torture infamy to which they are not subjected prisoners are condemned to a fearful martyrdom and they suffer it with the sublime stoicism characteristic of their race men women and children are sacrificed with the same cruelty to prevent non-combatants from becoming hostiles the mexicans seize them and transport them from their fertile soil and benign climate to the death-breeding climate of yucatan where they are delivered as slaves to the landlords who buy them at so much a head the men who commit this crime make the public believe that they are performing an act of mercy that these non-combatants are prisoners of war whom they forgive and send to work as free men intending to civilize and protect them these wretched beings far away from wife and children from their soil and sky in slavery ignorant of the language of their masters who speak spanish and the language of the natives themselves who speak maya become homesick and die or run away forgetting in their longing for freedom the immense distance of thousands of miles that separate yucatan from sonora homeward they flee to perish in the lonesome woods from hunger thirst or fevers or to be devoured by the wild beasts that swarm in those regions history does not register anything superior to the heroism of this race not even in the glorious times of sparta were enacted scenes of intrepidity or deeds of self-sacrifice that surpassed those of the yaquis one of the chiefs of the tribe was once pursued by a detachment of rurales, a special body of cavalry very similar to our rough riders. The Indian chief was an excellent sharpshooter, as all the Yaquis are. He fired from behind a rock, killing one of his enemies with each shot. In the end he was surrounded by the rurales then when a mounted officer of the detachment rushed at him sabre in hand he parried the thrust jumped upon the back of the horse pinioned the arms of his adversary and spurred with his heels the flanks of the horse making it gallop at full speed towards a precipice near by when the horse reached the edge of the abyss it stopped suddenly but the indian plunged his knife into the animal's haunch neighing with pain the animal cast itself headlong over the precipice carrying with it the two men two cries were heard one of terror shrieked by the rurale another of triumph emitted by the yaqui for what are these patriots fighting to retain their small fatherland within the great fatherland to live on the soil where they were born and where their ancestors are buried to have the right of living in peace they have not denied the rights of the government they have not rebelled against the local authorities the government has denied their rights the local authorities have persecuted them at present they are living in the mountains constantly fighting they are outcasts pariahs less than pariahs they are treated as wild beasts tracked and killed hanged on the trees to be the food of the carnivorous birds and a warning to their fellows really these corpses hanged on the trees are the shame of a society that boasts of being civilized poor yakis Poor race of heroes destroyed by the infamous and unpatriotic ambition of a group at whose service is a nation of braves indifferent to what they are doing with their brothers of sonora we hold no brief for the independent indians whether they be yaquis or mayans they have many bad traits the mayans certainly are cruel and they have become crafty and treacherous by long centuries of brutality and persecution they have been guilty too of bloody reprisals but mark that word the story of the spanish domination of the whole of yucatan is a story of bloodshed of basest cruelty of the most hideous lust in the name of christ the white race has ground down the rightful owners of the soil evicted them robbed them murdered them beaten them defiled their women and even their children are not reprisals then fair in a later chapter we raise the corner of the curtain on as black a story of slavery as the world has ever known the blacker because of its cowardice and hypocrisy the slavery of so-called civilized yucatan for that great cancer surgeon diaz is said to be sharpening his operating knife and in this far eastern portion of yucatan because might is right the last pure descendants of those who had attained a great end if spanish historians are to be trusted a noble civilization are to be brutally crushed out if mexico values a fair name if she wishes to be reckoned a civilized power she will yet turn back she will refuse to write the last chapters of that story of blood of which the Spanish wrote the first four centuries ago. End of section fourteen. Recording by Shena Serre, Fresno, California.